the Samsung Neo QLED 8K TV featuring incredible color volume with 8K AI upscaling powered by 20 neural networks on an impossibly slim screen is the kind of TV that's so visually astounding, so unfathomably well designed, it has to be seen to be believed. Don't believe me? Well, okay then. Radio has its limits. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. up y'all thank you for joining in i don't know i didn't know if you guys could hear me before or not but since this is the first one it's going to be a trial run we're going to keep it short we're going to keep it simple uh we're going to keep it very open to the audience so if you guys want to participate just start raising your hands we're gonna we're gonna allow all kinds of topics about the pelicans and and the nba season in general where we want to trial this going forward so we can use this as a platform to engage anyone that wants to Participate on the podcast uh, going forward, and we'll start trying to host these, you know, on a semi-regular basis, especially around bigger events in the NBA. That way, we can get more real-time engagement with you guys and hopefully answer your guys' questions, put ourselves in a more accessible space, rather than, you know, just ask for questions to be submitted that we may or may not get to, give you guys the opportunity to do so here. So, I mean... Again, this is going to be very informal. If you guys have questions uh, about anything with the Pelicans, you guys can just raise your hands now. I'll get you guys into the speaker space. And if not, you know, I can kick off a couple topics. I, I still don't know if you guys can hear me or not. So if someone wants to, to raise their hand and uh, join the speaker space. Okay, here we go. Hey, what's up, Mandy? Hey, Schmidt. Yeah, I could hear you now. Just wanted Perfect. to let you know. Perfect. Sweet, man. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for joining. Uh, yep. I was wondering if you had any questions uh, about the Pelicans or the offseason. Yeah, re- uh, listen to the uh, shooting pod or going all in on shooting pod yesterday. Great pod. Um, would you, Do you think it's more feasible to acquire Buddy or CJ or somebody like Duncan Robinson on a sign and trade? That's a good question. I think that Buddy is probably the easiest to acquire out of all of those names, all three of those names. I think Buddy is probably considered more of a distressed asset around the league than than CJ, than, than Duncan Robinson. I think Duncan Robinson is going to generate a lot of um, suitors in, the, in free agency. I think he's going to He's going to get paid, long and short. I think he's going to get paid. And so yeah. for the Pelicans to orchestrate a sign-and-trade for him, they would have to have something that the Heat want and something that they're also willing to part with. 
we don't really know if the Heat want Lonzo or if the Heat want Josh Hart. Um, there's also a weird financial balance that they have to uh, meet because both of these players fall under this really arcane cap criteria called base year uh, compensation, which makes sign and trades really difficult. I'm not going to get into the weeds of, of how it works here. Um, I'll probably write about it at some point. I have written about it before, but it, it makes sign and trades really difficult. And the Heat mm-hmm. are in a position to where they can do a lot of their moves in the off season, uh, sign either you know sign dudes by rejecting the team options on guys like Iguodala and Dragic and whatnot, or um, you know, swing for trades and then go over the cap and re-sign Duncan Robinson. So I have a hard time seeing them moving off of Duncan Robinson. Uh, so that's why I think Buddy is a lot easier to acquire. I don't think he's going to take more than a couple second-round picks uh, to get. I think the Kings would be fine moving off of him. They tried really hard to move off of him when the whole Bogdanovich thing was going on last year, and, and they were trying to decide if they could match his contract or not. Well, they wanted to, uh, but – the Bogdanovich and Buddy pairing didn't really work. And so it was one or the other, and they couldn't move Buddy without attaching a pick to him. And so they're like, okay, well, we don't want to do that. Um, and so they they decided to not match the Bogdanovich contract. Uh, CJ, I think, is going to be interesting. I can see a world where Portland doesn't move him because they're crazy. <laughs> and uh, I can also see a world where they do decide to move him, and it's really hard for the Pelicans to come up with a trade that – meets Portland's desire because they, what they want is they want to compete. They want to, they want to go into contention and you have to construct a trade that's going to push their team or at least give them the illusion that they're closer to contention. And I think that's hard to do. I think you're going to have to pull in a third team to do it. Um, unless again, they, if they really love Lonzo ball and they think he's that guy that's going to, you know, take their team to the next level, then sure. Then you can make something around that. But you know, I don't see the Pelicans, putting Zion on the table. They're not going to put Ingram on the table. So if, outside of those two guys, I don't think uh, Portland is going to take anything from this team on a one-to-one basis. I think you have to swing a third team to get it done. And this, this might be uh, just a little greedy of me, but uh, if, if we make a, if we made a move for Buddy, is there any scenario in which you could see us also getting Harrison Barnes off their hands? Cause I'd love to have them. I mean, I don't think it's impossible. Um, I, Probably I think, just not worth it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, you know, given the Pelicans' assets, there's probably, like, 15 players in the league that they can't acquire if they really wanted to, you know? like Yeah. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but the thing is, like, they can probably meet the asking price of just about anyone. Um, and the question is, like you, like you said, like, is it worth meeting that asking price? And I think... I think the Kings, if they want to, if they want to compete with De'Aaron Fox, if they are still trying to make the playoffs, which they haven't made since I think what 2006. Um, they're they're not going to want to move off of Barnes that easily. I think they'll probably just try to move off from Buddy first, open up more minutes for uh, Halliburton, and then you know try to do something with their draft. But it, I think it's probably going to be one or the other. Like if they can get more useful things from Barnes and then you know hold on to Buddy. They might do that or, or vice versa. But, I, again, it's a possibility. I just I think it will be difficult. Um, What's up, Tyler? I was listening to a uh, podcast earlier. I think it was No Dunks, but I don't I don't remember for sure. But they were talking about uh, possible trades to go on this offseason, and they were talking about a Kemba for uh, either Steven Adams or Alonzo. I don't know if the contracts match up or anything. I didn't listen. 
uh, to that part of it, but I was listening to that, and they said that that's a possible trade. I don't know what you guys think. I, I don't think it's possible. I, I One, uh, the Pelicans don't have interest in Kemba Walker and in his contract. And two, I'm a Celtics fan. I don't think right. a lot of people do. Right. And, and, and two, um, I don't think the Celtics have, have interest in, in, in Steven Adams. I, I really don't. I think they, they see um, Robert Williams as their up and coming center of the future. They've been able to find centers at a bargain um, that will give them enough minutes to kind of get the job done throughout the years. You know, like Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson wasn't that great. But again, you know, he's making like eight, nine million dollars. You can do a lot worse. Right. Um, everything that the Celtics front office has done has been to avoid kind of these big plotting centers that they feel like they don't fit into their scheme. But now that Brad Stevens is the GM, I feel like he's going to continue to avoid those type of uh, centers. Like, you know, like they signed a Greg Monroe uh, way back in the day. They signed Ennis Contra way back in the day. And, and both those signings, like they were there to add depth, uh, provide rebounding, you know, some, I guess, interior presence and and brad ended up like just not playing them in, in the late playoff run so i don't think brad likes those kind agree. of players what's up i completely, I completely agree we we don't fit with centers like that we fit right. with centers like al horford not al horford specifically but like al horford stretch the floor a little bit of playmaking decent defense like that's what fits us we're not steven adams would really clog the Right, and and so I, I think that's just not a deal I can see both teams really being into. Um, but but good question. Um, I, again, just want to remind the people that are joining that uh, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand and we'll get you in here. Uh, what is up, Joe? Hey, what's up, Shamet? How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's a Monday. Um, but you talk a lot about uh, McCollum. But I kind of think it would be more interesting to go after a guy like Powell. Uh, I know it'll be tough with like sign and trade and stuff because we can't just sign him. Um, he'll get more than the mid-level, but I feel like they would be more willing to cut loose with him because they were leaning into offense and now they're kind of backpedaling and trying to rebuild the defense. Would you do like a hard Powell swap? Yeah. I mean, I think Powell would make the Pelicans better. I think, you know, with my targets, obviously, I like to, like, aim high and, and dream of all these, like, you know, near-star type players that can come in and make the team better. But the reality is there's a lot of players in the NBA that's going to make the Pelicans better, and they can't afford to be picky. And so if the opportunity presents themselves to go get Norman Powell, especially if it only takes Josh Hart as a sign-and-trade to go get him, absolutely. Um, although the thing with Norman Powell is that he's going to get paid. Uh, he's going to get paid a lot, and I think people are going to be shocked with how much he's going to get paid. Maybe I'm totally off about this, but you know, he's a guy over the last two years. Is two years ago he averaged 16 points a game. Uh, he shot really well. He shot 39.9% from three, basically right under 40. Um, this year he was averaging almost 20 points a game with the Raptors, and then that took a slight bump down when he ended up with the with the Blazers, and they have two higher usage dudes uh, to take some of the scoring from him. And again, he shot really well. He was shooting almost 44 percent from three in Toronto, which is ridiculous. Um, so the question I have for you is, are you comfortable paying Norman Powell 18 million a year? He left the chat, but I guess that's the question for everyone. Uh, do you, are you comfortable paying Norman Powell 18 million a year? 
I didn't watch no, many you. Raptors games, so I don't know. But in my honest opinion, I think Josh Hart is uh, probably a little better with the defensive aspects of his game, you know? The Josh Hart stuff is interesting. I talked to a lot of Celtics fans, and they, they absolutely love Josh Hart. And I think part of it has to do with how well Josh played against the Celtics this year, especially the 17-point comeback the Pelicans had. Huh. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and he played he played really good defense. He played really tough defense on on Jason Tatum that game. Uh, even though Jason Tatum had a pretty pretty nasty uh, you know shot to send them into overtime, I think um, over Josh Hart. But um, it it the thing with Josh Hart, I think, is he's one of those players that every team kind of looks at externally and is like, oh, like this guy kind of fits. He's like he's tough. He rebounds. He you know he can kind of shoot the three. He, he does these things that you want uh, a wing to do. And, and it's one of these grass is always greener type of wings that, you know, every fan base looks at the opposing team. It's like, man, if we could just get that guy on our team. And then when you get that guy on your team and you're like, okay, well, I wish he kind of did more. Um, I think that's the case with Josh Hart. Uh, that's that's my opinion. What's up? I said cough. <laughs> right. Well, the thing with Hayward is like he can get you 30 a night, right? He can he can get you 10 assists uh, if you needed to. He can rebound. He can he can do multiple things. And and he's not a terrible shooter. Whereas you know Josh Josh is really um, I don't want to say regressed as a shooter because regression implies that you have to be like pretty good and you take a step back. Whereas like I think you know his his rookie year he hit 39.6 percent of his threes. I think that may have been more of a fluke because ever since then, you know, he's hit 33, 34, 32, which is right around, you know, the same thing. I think that's within like a normal uh, acceptance for, for his, his, um, his shooting variance. And so like, you know, over, over the last three years, uh, he shot 33.6% from three, which is just not, it's just not that good. And, you know, defenses certainly don't respect him uh, for the Pelicans. Certainly when not, when the choice is, you know, do we defend Zion or do we defend, Josh Hart, and then that's a pretty easy choice for any defense to make, um, I, I would say. So, you know, if, again, like, I, I think Josh is going to be a useful player. Uh, he can even be a useful player to the Pelicans. He does things that every team um, kind of needs because with the rebounding and, and the defense. I don't think he's necessarily a needle mover that deserves uh, a ginormous bag or that the Pelicans should go out of their way to retain. What's up, Max? Yeah, um, I just wanted to float a question I had asked on Discord and seen talked a little bit about on Twitter. But um, so I'm kind of of the mindset that you know, obviously Zion and Ingram right now are our two cornerstones. I feel like Zion kind of was just good enough to always get his no matter what. Whereas Ingram is a guy I think, even though his efficiency was still there, it seemed much harder for him this year with the roster construction to get his. So I kind of like the idea of going into this offseason with the, the mindset of, you know, how do we help Ingram out? Like, if you do your best to enable him, you kind of put him in a spot where you're going to learn everything you need to learn about him. And again, I think Zion is always going to give you, you know, his efficient 27 or whatever. But if you can get Ingram, you know, to bump it up to 25, 26, maybe. But really just make it so he's not working as hard offensively you know, maybe that's where you start to see his game either take another step in terms of creation or ideally defense. I just don't know if it's as realistic. But, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, like, building for Ingram since Zion is Zion and seeing if that raises your ceiling. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you're on the right track. I think what what the issue here is that you're not specifically building for Ingram in that case because the things that you mentioned that would make his job easier make everyone's job easier. So I think the Pelicans should be looking to add those things regardless, right? So they, they should be looking to add more spacing. They should be looking to add more shot makers. They should be looking to add guys who can move the ball and create, um, especially so like Ingram has less of a burden on, on himself. So I think if you add those type of players, which ultimately are players that every single team is looking to add, they're, they're just good basketball players. It's going to make Zion's life easier. It's going to make Ingram's life easier. It's going to make Nikhil's life easier. And, and, and that effect kind of uh, permeates the whole roster. And, and so I think I absolutely agree that the Pelicans should be looking to make his life easier, but it, it's not necessarily like, oh, we're focused on Ingram, right? It's, it's like, if we do these things, it's going to make everyone's job easier and everyone's going to be better off for it. Even if Zion can function in a subpar environment, like, what does that guy look like when you add those things? Like, he's going to be absolutely ridiculous. Like, good luck stopping him. Yeah. Another point on that is, um, People talk about like like the big thing everyone always says, and I am on your side where I think it's kind of overstated is the idea of like stretch or spacing at the five. But like the whole idea behind all of this is always, oh, get people out of the paint so Zion has more room to operate. And I just don't think there is any player that isn't a top 10 player in the league you can put next to Zion that gets people out of the paint. Like inevitably, I just think they're always going to have, you know, three people with a foot in the paint at all times. And so you're kind of oper- like you're almost wasting resources then if you're just getting someone there just to try and create a uh, mismatch or a, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to finish that statement, but you know what I'm saying? No, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And so um, I, I think I think it's a, a slightly complicated answer. I think what, the way I feel about stretch bigs is that I don't think that there are enough bigs in the league that are truly truly enormous difference makers that are worth spending high level assets on so i would rather spend those assets on perimeter players um guards wings forwards especially perimeter players who i can then play at center if i need to so i think if you want to be like one of the best teams in the league you have to be able to win in multiple different ways and you're right when you say zion doesn't necessarily need all that space to to function at a high level and you're also not going to be able to really add people realistically that are going to change the dynamic of how people defend him. And so what I do to counter that is like, okay, well, if the defense isn't going to change, I got to change the ability of the other four people on the court to make shots. And so if I have high level shot makers and creators um, at the perimeter, it makes everyone's job easier. As far as, far as the big goes, um, again, I'm just, not very keyed on investing assets on bigs. If I can get a forward who can, you know, I can play at center when, when I need to, and we just go small and I'm not losing that much on defense. And then the, the, the floor is spaced out. Perfect. But for, for me, it's not about who's, who's starting games as much as who's going to close them and who's going to close them when they matter the most. Like the Lakers, they destroy people all across the regular season with, Andre Drummond and, and, and Anthony Davis together and, you know, Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis together and all that stuff kind of goes out the window in the playoffs. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Anthony Davis at center is their kill line. If, you know, if he decides he wants to play, which is not, doesn't always happen. Right. Um, but you know that I want the Pelicans to kind of have a similar 
kill line in which they can go smaller. And it's not Zion at center. It's some other capable forward who's able to do those things. And Zion can just focus on being himself uh, rather than focus on like, oh, God, I got to grab every rebound. I got to contest every shot on the back line of defense. I, I want to give that responsibility to someone else. And I would much rather invest assets on that type of player than you know a big, unless that big is like a complete all-star, like Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid, you know, someone like that, which is you're not, you're not going to find. Right. Uh, if I can ask one more question quick. Um, so in regards to like, you know, adding perimeter players that can, in this case, make shots, uh, the person I've like fallen in love with wanting to get them is, you know, having Buddy healed and have him take 12 threes a game, just instant spacing <laughs> in a bottle. But um, so like as a Pels fan, you know, the ideal trade that we're, we would, you know, me would be convinced is realistic, even though I can also tell you it probably isn't, is like, you know, bled in two seconds or something. And mm-hmm. then maybe a middle ground would be like bled in a future first for healed. And then if you ask the Kings fans, they'd probably tell you bled in the 10th pick or something. So like, do you have a sense of like where that realistic outcome would be for a trade to try and acquire healed? Yeah. And so we, we kind of talked about this earlier before you hopped on. Uh, but, you know, as much as Kings fans can can demand the assets uh, for Buddy Heald, the reality of the situation is the Kings organization tried to give away Buddy Heald uh, last year. No one wanted him. Same thing at the deadline. They shopped him and no one wanted him uh, without expecting further compensation. And so he doesn't really have all that much value. If if the Pelicans are able to, say, trade Eric Bledsoe in a couple seconds to look Orlando, Orlando sends Gary Harris's expiring contract to Sacramento, and then you know Buddy Heel comes to New Orleans. I would shout in the streets if I was a Kings fan that I'm because I'm getting off of Buddy Heel's contract. I, I get a you know somewhat defensive type of player. Maybe there's something you can do about Gary Harris's shot. Although I'm not optimistic, that's not something I would you know really look to sell the trade with. But the but what I would do is I would sell the idea that I'm getting off of Buddy Heel's contract in a year. And I have way more cap room to play with because they're they're headed to 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 cap hell. They they really are. De'Aaron Fox's max contract kicks in this year. Um, they're already paying uh, Harrison Barnes a smidge over twenty million dollars. They're paying um, Buddy Heald over twenty million dollars. I think they have about ninety something million guaranteed in like four or five guys, and they still have like pending decisions on free agents such as like Rashawn Holmes. Um, and they got to figure out their center situation. So there's a lot going on. And and if I'm that front office, I'm I'm looking for flexibility because the runway gets really short if you're not able to build a good team and, and all of a sudden De'Aaron Fox wants out. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game-changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on Sleeper too by playing their new over-under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download Sleeper now to play their new over-under game and have fun with your friends and most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code BLUEWIRE and Sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download Sleeper, then use promo code BLUEWIRE when you deposit.
Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. And when you talk about um, you know, Sacramento being desperate to get off that contract, is that something we need to look in the mirror and say, well, should we be taking it on? Or is, you know, someone shooting 40% on 12 threes just kind of like, that's what we need. Who cares? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, I think you do need to do a risk analysis. Um, but for me, on this team, the risk of all of that um, is not as great as the reward. Uh, I compare it to the, when Cleveland traded for J.R. Smith. Back then, uh, I think it was like 2014, I want to say, or maybe it was 2015. I think it was 2015, in the middle of 2015. Um, it was David Griffin, actually. He, he moved around stuff, and he ended up bringing Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith was viewed very similarly to Buddy Heald as this kind of like no-defense playing gunner in New York, who's, and he was kind of a head case as well. And you're like, okay, well, what do we do here? And then all of a sudden, you know, this guy who was like a really prolific three-point shooter made a lot of sense next to LeBron James, and that's what it, he needed. You know, instead of being the second option or even the third option in New York, he was the fourth option behind Kyrie and and Kevin Love and sometimes the fifth. Um, and so I think in that situation where you find players who are imperfect in, in one stop, all of a sudden they become highly productive in others, it's generally because their role and responsibility is changed dramatically and and they're able to focus on the things that makes them great and so that's what i'd be looking to do with with buddy in in this situation um i do want to get a couple other people um i think joey's been waiting a, a while what's up joey hey what's going on can you hear me yep i can hear you man perfect perfect hey just to just to add on to what you guys are talking about right now as far as like the risk and reward um i hear a lot of pelicans fans including myself saying that you know it would be awesome if we could get CJ or players like Sabonis or maybe Brockton. But what's your thoughts on uh, possibly looking into riskier trades like Devontae Graham or John Wall? Uh, I am out on John Wall. I think that contract <laughs> is probably the worst contract in the league, especially okay. since he's coming off an Achilles injury. Um, I don't think the Pelicans need to add a um, a very expensive, highly paid um high usage player who can't shoot. Um, I think, you know, what, what the Pelicans need is maybe someone cheaper and younger uh, that can do those things. I like Devonte Graham. I think he can be an interesting, interesting fit. He is, I don't know what his market's going to be this summer, frankly. Um, you know, last year he had a really strong year. He was considered to be in the running for most improved. And then this year it was up and down, especially because Charlotte had a lot of guards and they added LaMelo who was awesome this year. Um, and so I can see him getting paid, you know, 12, $13 million. I can see him getting under the, the MLE and you can do a lot worse than Devonte Graham as a bench guy. I don't, I wouldn't want to start him, but I, I do like him. Uh, he's an interesting piece because he's one of those guys that, um, scores really well, uh, from deep. He's a really big pull-up threat. Um, the problem is he doesn't apply much rim pressure or rim pressure at all, which again, on a Zion Williamson team. You don't need that many guys to do that if he's taking on the creation responsibilities. Um, but it is, you know, an issue when come playoff time. And, and, and Graham is also a smaller guard who's going to get hunted in those matchups. But you can do a lot worse for, for a backup guard. Um, let's see. We got Derek. You've been waiting. What's up, man? Hey, Schmidt. Longtime follower. I think this is a great idea. I'm glad that you're doing this. Um, kind of have two questions that probably can, can be combined into one. Uh, but what do you say to people who question B.I.'s fit next to Zion? 
And then also, what about, you know, with your podcast yesterday, the same moving offensive mind forward, uh, Stan Van Gundy being a defensive mind he is, do you see him being, uh, uh, maybe not a problem, but his style being a problem for us with the future and how the way basketball should Good question. So with regards to the BI question, um, I would have to ask what people consider to be a good fit and what they consider to be a poor fit and which aspect of BI they considered not to fit. So offensively speaking, um, you know, BI is a dude who can score at all three levels. He can create his own. He can pass a little, right? That type of player fits into any team, um, no matter what. And part of it has to be on that player to kind of adapt and adjust to the pieces around him. And I think BI has done that. Um, a lot better than he did last year. You know, like when, when Zion was inserted in the lineup, he struggled. Um, this year he's maintained his efficiency despite a higher uh, workload and, and a tougher uh, offensive situation with the players around him. So I'm not too concerned with their, their offensive fit, especially if the Pelicans continue to add those ancillary pieces or even another star piece next to those two that makes everyone's job easier. Uh, I'm willing to give that fit um, more time, you know, to, to grow and mature. Uh, defensively, I think that's been my biggest concern uh, with these two guys, seeing as they're both pretty poor defensive players. And ultimately, if these guys want to win anything at a high level, they're going to have to play uh, some semblance of defense. And I don't know if that's going to happen on the Pelicans or not. I'm willing to, again, lean in on creating a team that's just so good offensively that they can get away with it for now. Um, but you know, long-term, if, if I continue to like run into some sort of ceiling, I, I definitely like explore, um, other ways to build a team. But I think, you know, for now, um, there should be no rush to, to change off of that. As far as Stan Van Gundy goes, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think you're already beginning to see, you know, smoke of him, like not being a good fit. Um, those reports that came out with, uh, you know, with Sam Amick in, in Sacramento, um, on, on the radio about the players not vibing with him and how it's not a good vibe here or whatever it is. I mean, th- those aren't made up reports, right? Um, his style is grading. He, there are players that don't like him. Um, there are players that are more okay with him than others. There are players that will run to their former coach and complain about him, uh, wishing that, you know, Alvin was still here or Luke was still there. Um, but there are players, there are players on the roster that straight up don't like him. And so this, this front office is going to have to make a decision um, on whether, you know, A, those players are a part of the future on the team. B, uh, if they are a part of the future, can, can the situation with Stan be salvaged for, for some of those players? Or is it going to be a distraction moving forward? Um, I think it's, it's on the table that, you know, the, that a change can happen um, sooner rather than later. Um, I don't think that's the way that this ownership group likes to operate or, you know, Griff, I mean, Griff, Griff made the, the David Black change pretty quickly, um, especially after making the finals. So like, don't, you don't, you don't ever want to put it past them to not, you know, not make a change where it's necessary, but this ownership group doesn't like to make those sudden changes, especially when um, they're, they're already paying Alvin and Stan at the same time. And then there's considerable amount of money left on Stan's contract. Uh, so, you know, they, I think they're going to try to 
work through whatever issues they have because I think what ultimately happens is like it's a really difficult year for everyone when you have all these COVID protocols that don't allow you to do anything um, that you would normally do, especially on road trips, and you're kind of stuck with each other for prolonged periods of time, and it creates this like intensified cabin fever situation. And like you know, I think I've I've heard people describe it as like you know you go on like a road trip with friends, and by the end of it, like you're at their necks. Um, imagine that, but like a really long, long, grueling NBA season where you're losing a lot of games. Um, and so is winning the cure? I, I'm optimistic that, that they, st- they start winning. They add better players. They add more winning-focused players. Um, you know, things get better. But, again, I'm not the one that's in charge of these, these decisions. And I think if the staff comes together and they decide, like, hey, it's better to move on sooner rather than later, um, that's, you know, that, that's an acceptable decision if things are that bad. I don't think it needs to be looked at like, oh, shit, you know, there's a lot of dysfunction here. I think it needs to be looked at like, okay, we recognize a mistake um, and, you know, we're going in a different direction. Now, mind you, like this is just me going through their thought process. I'm not saying this is about to happen or anything. I'm, I'm just saying that like there, there, there is smoke that, you know, that the players don't like him. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal personally. I personally think it's salvageable, but that's up to management to figure out and not me. Um, gonna do a couple more questions before I hop off. Uh, Steven, what's up, man? Oh, what's up? What's up, man? Long time uh, follow on Twitter. You're one of the most funniest people on there. That's what give you your props on that one. Appreciate it. But, you, man. Uh, but uh, you know, I know we're talking about additions for the Pelicans, and I've watched these playoffs, and I've seen the guard play on some of these teams is just amazing on how they can just create their own. And looking at us, I see where we're sorely lacking. I, I think we probably had one of the worst back backcourts in the league. I mean, am, am I off on that one, or... I mean, I look, I've been harping on the backcourt all year. I don't think you're off on that one, and especially when you watch the playoffs and you're like, man, this is what it takes. Uh, I'm with you, man. Yeah, and, uh, and I've, you know, we talk about some additions and whatnot, and I, I, didn't, I didn't even take into account that we might be able to sign and trade Josh Hart. I mean, I thought he was just like somebody that could just – we can just walk away from – if need be, I, I never thought of like, hey, this could be an asset for us to improve. I mean, I know we we are in the process of trying to see what we where we're at with Lonzo, and I know Bledsoe's gone, so I'm, I'm not even counting <laughs> him. That, that, he's already at the airport. We just got to give him a direction. Right. So I was thinking about a guy, you know, like a, a buy low. Now, I know like a Norman Powell is uh, be costly, eighteen million dollars for him uh, a year. I mean, okay, but how about a dude that can, you can buy a little like a Malik Monk? Yeah, and and so I think you bring up good points on on both those things with Josh Hart um, and pretty much with any player like on this team. Like you know, this team has shown that they're willing to get creative with with their assets. Like they traded their two-way players, uh, Josh Gray and Zillam Cheatham, you know, they included them in the Steven Adam trade. So, like, they, they're willing to get creative with, with how they make things work. Um, 
But Malik Monk's interesting. I think he's he, he really showed at the end of last year that he can score the bucket. He struggled um, for, you know, the first three years or so of his career, uh, dealt with some injuries. And then, you know, this past year, he's like, okay, like I'm coming out. I can score the ball. Uh, he's also like, you know, one of those like undersized guards that, that will probably get targeted in the playoffs. If you're – so my thing with those type of guys is like I, I need them to be in like outlier level scorers. Uh, that really command the attention of a defense if I'm going to invest in them a lot. Now, if I'm bringing in Malik Monk to be a microwave scorer off the bench for like the MLE, I'm okay with that. My question to you, my question to you would be, you know, how do you reconcile giving him minutes and then Kyra minutes and developing Kyra? Um, Are you okay with, you know, understandably, like, you know, they do two different things on the court. Malik's more of a scorer. Kyra can play point. Um, But, are you okay with giving two dudes that are like six, three or under um, minutes at the same time? Because then again, you're getting into that Alvin Gentry situation where you're playing a bunch of six, three dudes and, and your defense suffers because of it. Yeah. You see, yeah, that's why I was, I was mistaken. I thought Malik was like a six, four, six, five guy. I didn't know he was six, three. Well, I had to reevaluate that one. And I, yeah, I know man. I'm about to go with that one. That would be a, 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 a solid no. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie to you, man. Yeah, man, but I mean, look, he's he's a good player, and I think you know, there's probably like I think there's like worlds that exist. Like, let's say there's a star on the table, right? And then Kyra ends up moving in that trade for the star, then you can absolutely look at guys like Devontae Graham or Malik Monk, right? Because you need you're gonna need those bench players to bring that scoring punch. You need some steady presence on the bench, and so like I think those are players that the team needs to keep in mind should should a trade happen, right? Because those are going to be the next guys. Right, right, right. And and one of my last question before I get up out of here. Um, is Duncan Robinson unrestricted or is he restricted? He's restricted. Oh, so okay. Miami has matching rights. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. that, 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 that cleared up a whole lot for me because I thought we were just going to go throw him a, throw him a contract and it would have been that. <laughs> Right. I wish, man. I wish. Really like him as a player. All right. All right, baby. I appreciate you, man. I'm about to get up out of here. All right, man. Thanks for thanks for hopping in. All right, last question uh, from Joe. What's up, Joe? Saw you hop on. What's going on? Yeah, my bad. My uh, my boss walked into my office. I had to just hop off. Uh, <laughs> apologies about that. Um, but I, I talk a lot of hoops with my roommate. He's a Houston transplant, so he's like – a little bit less invested in the Pelicans, definitely more like pessimistic. And he already has kind of lost faith in Griff to be like a level-headed, wise decision maker for us. And I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I don't want to say I'm close, but like, I kind of do think this off season and this next season is kind of his last chance just because this is going to be so make or break. Uh, How do you feel about that? I mean, I think I think it's accurate to say that there's, there's a lot riding on this offseason. Um, I think more so than people think, uh, especially with Zion's extension um, on the table next year and his long-term future. Um, I, I think you're, you know, the assess, assessment that it's a big offseason for David Griffin is accurate. What I want to say is that, like, you know, as much as people think that he tried to win now, he hasn't. And so I want to see what that gear looks like when he's actually trying to bring in players to be a really good team. He's trying to thread the needle of being a competent team and then develop at the same time, and it's not really worked out for him. Um, but he hasn't gone full hog until, like, we need to try to win now. And so 
I think, you know, sometimes I like to talk about um, when discussing Sam Hinkie in the process, people talk about like, oh, this guy was a genius and, um, you know, he's able to rack up all these assets and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of the trades that he did were really smart and intelligent, but he was able to do them because he was only he was the only person in the league that was trying to actively lose games. Right? It's the same thing with OKC. They were like the only t- team in the league that were actively trying to lose games and get assets. So like what? Just because you're doing one thing now doesn't mean you're going to be good or bad at the next thing in the future. And so, like, I think what where Griff deserves um, a little bit of runway here is, okay, let's see what happens when you're actively trying to win and acquire these players. You're going out of your way to pay a ton of assets. I mean, they did go out of their way to get Adams a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, they gave up that, you know, one pick and, you know, a couple seconds to for someone who they thought would be a cultural touchstone, um, they they whiffed. They whiffed on that. Um, I wasn't a fan of the trade when it happened. I'm not a fan of the trade now. And they whiffed on it. But overall, they didn't go into that season like, yeah, man, we're gonna like we're gonna be one of the best teams in the West. And so this season, I think that's exactly what they're gonna do. And so I'm curious to see what that looks like. And and if they come up short, I mean, I think there's gonna be pretty large consequences for, for a lot of people involved. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's definitely, um, I don't want to say rose tinted glasses, but that's a good way to think about it. Um, I hadn't really considered that, but I also was not a big fan of the Adams, uh, the Adams trade or the extension really. Um, but especially not the extension, but, um, another thing that I wanted to ask kind of last thing is, uh, I saw you tweeting about, uh, I think with Christian about if we jumped up to two, you said you would be disappointed if it was anybody but Mobley or Jalen Green, and I was wondering what you were thinking about Suggs and why you uh, aren't necessarily as high on Jalen Suggs. Yeah, I, I have Suggs uh, fourth on my board, um, which, you know, like, is it, can you say I'm not high on him if I have him fourth overall? But, you know, I don't have him in the same tier as those other two. I, I think that if I look at, you know, the best possible players that these guys can be, Green and Mobley are, are a tick higher than where I have Suggs, who, again, like, you know, people are like, okay, he's athletic, and then he can he can shoot a little. But I think if you look at his functional athleticism, especially athleticism in the paint going to the rim, uh, it's not as great as people think. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm lower on that. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm being unfair uh, because, like, Jalen Green is, like, otherworldly athletic, and, and you know, I'm, I'm giving him higher marks because of that. Um, but I also think that Green has more variety as a shot maker, especially in the half court. Um, and when I look at where the league is heading, um, I'm looking I'm looking at the Jason Tatum's, the Donovan Mitchell's, um, these guys that are just becoming unguardable to uh, to an extent. Uh, that's who I want to to bring in, and I see that in in Green much more than I see that in Suggs. Not that I'm saying Suggs is going to be a bad player. I mean, I, I I have him fourth overall in the top five. The Pelicans draft him. I'd be a very happy person. Period. Um, but you know, at number two, it's just that like, okay, that's a more precious resource than four. Then let me try to swing a little bit higher. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a big Mobley believer. I'll do a backflip if we jump up and get him. I'm pumped for Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. Very, very big day. Gosh. Yeah. No, let's, let's hope for number one. And, um, you know, if we get Cade, that solves a lot of issues. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for doing this, man. I'm still waiting on my Twitter follow back, but maybe one day. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, yeah, I got to let me know your account. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll uh, see what we can work out. That but, was just um, a joke, but 
Thanks, man. <laughs> Peace. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for hopping on and thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to try to do this on a more regular basis. I think this was a pretty good uh, first trial. So appreciate y'all listening. I uh, hope you have a good one. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.